Welcome to another edition of the Raw of the Lions UK podcast. This is episode number 60, entitled, I tried to think of an episode name, but like Aaron Rodgers, nothing turned up. My name is Matthew Turner. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Ryan, Steve and Ant. How you doing, boys? Straight, oh, in, with a, straight in with a Packers burn. That's got to be good for ratings. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love it. That was good. All right. We are going to go through some news. We're going to talk about the coaches' presses in the last week. And then we are going through the draft picks of our seven opponents in the first half of the season. We're then going to take a break for about 20 minutes before being joined by Austin Gale of PFF. And I'm so looking forward to that. But let's kick off with a little bit of news. And it was in the press conferences today, which I'm not really covering, but I thought I should just mention it. Dan Campbell did take some time out to remember his first head coach in the NFL, Jim Fassell, who was the 1997 NFL Coach of the Year and died on Monday of a heart attack, age 71. So that's obviously very sad. He um, had a up-and-down career as a head coach of the Giants before moving on to be offensive coordinator of the Ravens and then the head coach in Las Vegas in the USFL. Any memories of Jim, boys? I have to admit, being a newcomer, really, in terms of fandom, to the NFL, my, my knowledge doesn't stretch back to Jim, but obviously he meant something to to our current head coach. No, uh, unfortunately not. No, no. Uh, right, let's move on swiftly. So the Lions have waived a few players in the first stretch of free agent uh, of the off season. So we have waived 2018 seventh round pick fullback Nick Board, and that opens the way for. Friend of the podcast, Jason Kabinda, hopefully, to, to get a roster spot. Also waived part-time 2019 starter defensive tackle, John Atkins, and undrafted free agent running back, Rakeem Boyd. To replace Boyd, the Lions have signed running back, Michael Warren, and they've also signed linebacker, Edge, Reggie Gilbert. The 2027th round pick, Jashon Cornell, has revealed that he's been suspended three games for a violation of the league's substance abuse policy. He... Met this head-on by apologising on Twitter for an out-of-character mistake. He missed the entire 2020 season after a leg injury in pre-season. Uh, the Lions expect Tyrell Crosby to attend mandatory minicamp, which starts today. I've been told that he is there, so that's good news. I think he actually has spoken to the press too, but we'll, we'll cover that next week. Um, the contract details, too, for all of the undrafted free agents have been made available. There's a good link to them all through Pride of Detroit. And finally, PFF have ranked the Lions running back room 25th in the NFL, which seems terrifically low given that we've got two fairly good running back ones, in my opinion. But there we go. There's a, a fair amount to go through there, boys. But who wants to kick off with a with a take out of one of those? First of all, please tell me that the Chicago Bears running back room hasn't been ranked higher. Uh, David Montgomery, I think, is in the top 10 running backs in the league, according to PFF. So I would imagine that they are higher. Yeah, to me. That's upsetting. That really is upsetting. <laughs> it can't be that upsetting, surely. I, I mean, you know, I, I think, um, Matt, I mean, considering how... Well, Swift came back from you know the, the the drop against the Bears in the first week, and you know he really showed some flashes. Um, and obviously, we're sharing the snaps with um, you know Peterson and and a, a bit of Kerryon Johnson. I think um, the pick of uh, the the pickup of Jamal Williams was a really good 
pick for us. And I think we are going to um, prove a lot of people wrong in terms of that ranking. I think we will be laughing at that ranking in uh, 12 months' time. Yeah, PFS seem to have a lot of issues with us at the minute. I mean, this running back thing's a joke. I mean, how many teams really have two realistic guys who can be your running back one? You know, they're both really good. You know, Swift's shown what he can do. Williams has shown what he can do. You know, even though there's a guy before him taking a vast majority of the snaps, his production's still been huge. And we've got some talented rookies on there as well. So, you know, it's one of those, I don't get that one. I mean, you know, Taylor Decker was nowhere to be seen in their offensive tackle rankings, which again was ridiculous. I think like a lot of media outlets, they just seem to have it out for us. They don't really want to give us our due. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of proving people wrong this year, I think. People are down on us too far. Uh, well, I think the only saving grace for PFF is they put the Lions O-line at 10, which I think is a very fair number. Like I say, they didn't even have Swift in the top 32 running backs, which, frankly, is a bit ludicrous. So it is see, where it is, isn't it? Yeah, see, it's interesting to see how they rank those because, I mean, they have the Chiefs above us, but that line has never played together. It was an entirely new offensive line, which is going off the individual's past, whereas ours... We're returning four of the same five guys from last year, which were really good. And we've taken the best tackle in the draft. So, again, that's a bit of a funny one as well as to why that's someone the Chiefs are above us. Because their line was terrible last year. Yeah, I, I think in defence of what PFF have done, I think what they've said is we didn't think highly of Jonah Jackson's play. Now, that's a matter of opinion. We saw every snap. We thought he was good, I think, to a man. Uh, we, we all thought he played well, especially for a rookie. And I know that PFF were high on him last year, thinking he was one of the better guards coming out. But they didn't rank him so highly. I think his PFF ranking for the year was something like 57, 58, which is poor. Uh, poor, to, poor to okay. So if that's your opinion and you say Big V is not the best right guard, then you have two excellent guys at centre and left tackle, a rookie at right tackle, and the other two are merely kind of poor to okay. So I, I can see why 10th is... Perhaps a fair ranking if you look at it from that perspective. But for me, Big V coming off an injury, Jonah Jackson being much better than that ranking, two guys who are among the best in their position in the NFL, and hopefully a, a right tackle rookie who might be one of the very best coming out of the draft of all time. I mean, that's where his ceiling has to be right now. So I'm, I'm bullish on this line. Yeah, I mean, look at looking at some of the the teams in in this ranking of, of running backs. The Bears are eleven, which is just absolutely shocking. Um, I mean, I'm amazed to see like Washington down at like number nineteen in terms of how well Antonio Gibson did last year. We're at, we're at twenty five, and I mean the Bucks are at twenty six with like Fournette and Ronald Jones. So that's pretty wild. So. It, this looks like there's a, a lot of stuff that um, doesn't quite sit right in this ranking list. Yeah, I found that really interesting about the Bucks. I think that that is primarily because of Rojo's fumble problems and the fact that neither of them can catch a ball out the backfield, which makes them very one-dimensional. So I was happy to see us ranked higher than them. But I think Pittsburgh are 24, and their leading guy is a rookie. And I'm not one of these guys who said, well, if he's never taken a snap in the NFL, you can't put him higher. I just don't think like that. But I do think that I can't project him to be better than Swift. So I would just automatically put 
Detroit above Pittsburgh, but that's me. Yeah. Uh, Jashon Cornell is an interesting one from all of that news. I think he mentioned on Twitter that a, a close friend of his had died and he'd just had a huge lapse of judgment and that he was really sorry. I, I think it's a real shame that someone who missed all of last year is going to have now a, a sort of character issue against his name too, but it does feel like that is one foot out the door for Jashon, unfortunately, with so much competition at D-Tackle. Yeah, I think that's done for him. It's the, the level of competition is just superior to what it was last year. And to miss those first three games, it just means you you know, you don't really get a chance to make an impact. And if the de- if the defensive line starts off well early, he's not going to get a look in, especially as a seventh round guy. So I th- I think he's possibly one of those who's in for the chop, unfortunately for him. Yeah, I mean he might end up on the practice squad possibly. I, I would say possibly a destination for him. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. Any thoughts on those UDFA rookie contracts? Is anyone surprised that it's three wide receivers at the top? Is anyone surprised that it's Javon McKinley being given the most of all of them? Yeah, uh, he's garbage. Sorry to be blunt, but yeah, I don't know why he's earning that much. I don't think you. He's the least likely of those three receivers to get on the team. You know, I'd much rather have Sage Shurrut than Adams, to be fair, but... It's our only rookie contract. She'll see as she go along. It's, um, you know, if he wins his place in camp, that's fine because the wide receiver position is obviously wide open this year. So we'll see with him. But it was nice to see Beckett get a decent contract as well. I've been flying his banner from the start. I'm still convinced that he's going to work his way into the first team by the end of this first season. And I stand by that. So hopefully he does make it onto the roster and prove me right. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting um, that it is wide receivers I'm back at, but then right guard being the next one in Tommy Kramer being given 55 grand in guarantees. The other thing I found interesting is just as, as someone who really enjoys how the cap works for contracts, that it does appear looking at this chart that the signing bonus gets amortized over three years, being the rookie wage scales. Obviously, they're restricted free agents for the first couple of years. So Javon McKinley's got a 15 grand signing bonus, but only five grand of that counts against the cap this year. If we cut him, obviously, all of that will become due this year. But if he remains on the roster, it'll be five grand each year on top of his base salary. I just assumed that they were all on one-year deals, and so it'll all be absorbed now. I know we're only talking a very small amount of money, but it's just one of those things... The science of it's interesting to me. All right, let's move on. So that was the news, and then we'll go on to the press conferences. So we're just going to go through this very quickly. Um, OTAs week two is what I'm focusing on here, so I haven't looked at anything that started today. It's just not enough time for me to actually think about what's going on with it. So we started off with Dan Campbell. And there was the infamous incident with him wearing the racing helmet after being announced as the Grand Marshal for the Detroit GP in IndyCar racing. Um, He wore it for all of five minutes, but we all know the Ferrari that happened after that. Uh, He was then asked about the rules and vaccinations and the fact that things get relaxed if there's lots of people who are fully vaccinated. He was asked if that complicates things in the locker room. He said, no, we're used to it. There were rules last year. We'll follow them this year if we have to. It's not going to bother us at all. On Michael Brock, as he said, he's pro, a vet. He understands what he's supposed to do and what it's meant to look like. On Todd Gurley, he said, we've got interest and we're talking to his agent, but that doesn't reflect on Swift and Williams. But if we can get him signed, um, we'd like to do it earlier rather than later, but there's no deadline. He said he expected Crosby to attend minicamp, which of course has happened. 
on uh, Walker, he said he's just got to train the brain, be focused, trust what you're being taught. And he's made vast improvements already. He said there's no emphasis on size in in this team, but on uh, uh, specifically relating to Devai, he said he'd rather have a, a guy who's 220 pounds who can fly. And of course, Devai is about 46, uh, sorry, uh, 247, 246, and like that. So he's a a little bit over that. Uh, on Saul, he said he just needs reps and more reps to make that transition to right tackle. That you know he's a smart guy and he's going to get there. In terms of backups, he said positional flexibility is useful because it avoids you having to make two personal changes for one injury. So it's desirable but not necessary. He said on golf that he's made some throws which are outstanding pinpoint accurate throws. And on the passing game and what you can actually learn with these walkthroughs in the seven on sevens, he said. Okay, yeah, it's not it's not a full practice, but you can build chemistry, time with the receivers, and the coaches can work out who they can trust in the important situations down the stretch. And the most important thing for the entire team is at this point just to minimise mistakes, become trustworthy, and uh, you know if you can't do it while the pressure is off, then then why will we expect you to do it when the pressure is on? lot to go through there boys i've gone through that in full just because it's the, the head coach and is there anything that jumps out to anyone uh steve in fact anything there that you think is particularly noteworthy yeah I, I think um there was like a bit of um comment on social media about saul because uh, i think saul had, had kind of like said that you know the move to right tackle was a little bit more um you know uh, difficult problematic than he thought but you know, I thought that Campbell handled that very well because that could have like possibly blown up. Um, but he, he basically just dealt with it very calmly. Just said he just needs more reps. He's making a transition. Um, and, you know, it kind of like pretty much shut it down before it kind of like became to be a big thing. So, um, yeah, you can see that Campbell is, d- despite his like, you know, odd eccentricity, which people like jump on, he's very adept at like ha- at handling like certain situations. So, you know, that was, after listening to you know Patricia's stumbling um, kind of negative sort of coach speak for the last three years, I think it's just really easy to listen to. What about you, Anne? Anything jump out there? I've got much more to add on there, really. As Steve said it's just nice to hear you know everything just in plain terms. He tells us what's going on. He's very thorough with it. He lets us know what he's thinking. You know, I, I love the way he acts and, you know, in terms of the racing helmet thing, I think, you know, it's just a bit of lightheartedness. We've been getting, you know, told for years that Patricia's too serious and, oh, it's just, it's all grim and horrible. But then when you get a guy who's a bit more lighthearted and a bit more jovial about his job, then, oh, he's not professional enough. You know, it's just it's just uh, popular to drag on us a bit, isn't it? I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to give her airtime, but sometimes people come out with really mm. bad takes, and when they get called on them, they don't like it. But there are a lot of bad takes out there which are rightly getting called out in regards to us. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Uh, no, I agree. Like you say, we've come from a we've had we've had Coldwell. He was a proper face He wasn't half miserable. Like you say, and then uh, Patricia. <laughs> Patricia was too serious. So now we've got a guy that knows how to relax, when to relax. And if anything, he was promoting the race. He was actually doing the GP a favour. Like, it was like free advertisement. And people have just taken any chance they can to pounce on him and just trash him. Like, And he loves it. He feeds off it. 
the more you get on his back, the next time he's just going to do something else. I won't be surprised if we see at Halloween he'll come out dressed as the cowardly lion or something. Like, he'll do something to get a reaction. <laughs> I love that. I do think that specifically, I can't remember the woman's name, but from um, from the Herd uh, show, Colin Cowherd's show, um, that I don't think that anyone actually dislikes what's going on. I think people have just seen an opportunity to criticise him for any reason, if they even if they don't believe it. I... I've seen a tweet from her when when he was Miami interim head coach and she was singing his praises. And I don't think anything's changed in her opinion from between then and now. To is it Joy Taylor? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I don't think that, she yeah. genuinely believes it. I just yeah. don't. I don't think anyone genuinely believes the criticism. I think people are just seeing the opportunity to kick the lines when they're down because it's a fun thing to do. I think it's really lazy journalism as well, and you know, and. Any journalist that's like still going on about biting kneecaps or the Oklahoma drill come the start of the season, I'm just muting. Severe penalty, but justified. Right, let's move on to Deuce Staley. The running backs coach and assistant head coach talks about Jamal Williams. He said he's showing his leadership, especially in the classroom. He's bringing the presence of a vet. On DeAndre Swift, he said he needs some growth in year two. It starts with the understanding of the scheme, coverages, a blitz pickup, as well as the route running, which is what the reporters were keen to talk about. On Todd Gurley, he said his name sparks highlight reels in your head. Uh, he was one of the best running backs in the league a couple of years ago, and his leadership would be great, although the room would be fine without him. Jamal has enough experience to go round. On MCDC, he said, uh, just being a part of the meetings or talking with Dan Campbell, sharing the knowledge, taking notes, being given draft assignments, the scouting reports outside of that running room, uh, room, especially on defense and special teams, are some of the things he's been assigned to do as part of the process to him becoming a head coach. And I think we're all expecting him to get some interviews, maybe in this coming off season or the next one. So that's really encouraging to hear. On Jamar Jefferson, he said, He's a rookie, and he just needs to understand the NFL, the playbook, to stay back longer in the facility and study hard. And there was a recurring theme, actually. I think it happened last week and again this week on the NFL revising its formula on how to pay out for the CT traumatic brain injuries and how it was effectively rooted in racism by assuming that black people are thicker than white people. And it's just insane. So some of the reporters have made a habit of asking some of the black coaches about it. And I mean, I don't know why they don't ask all of the coaches about it, because it's a thing which affects everyone by benefiting white people and and hurting black coaches. it's, It's racism that affects everyone because you're not on that similar playing field. So you're really putting the, the, the black coaches on the spot to speak for everyone who is of black color in the league, which is terrifically unfair. But he said, effectively, it's insulting and it's been happening for a long time and we're used to it, but it's another hurdle we'll have to get over. Um, That one, to me, stuck out. I thought it was an unfair question, Um, but I guess they've got to get clicks, right? But it is shocking, right, that this was ever a thing. I mean, okay, throw back to 50s and 60s, when it still wasn't acceptable, but perhaps it was a bit more a society. But how has this not been addressed yet? I do not understand it. Yeah, I think the the NFL have consistently not covered themselves in glory 
on anything to do with brain injuries and CTE. Um, and this is just a, a, another further like embarrassment, um, obviously from the like appalling like racial take. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the NFL have got a lot of work to do on on, on brain injuries um, and, and their policies. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be further further issues crop up um, as as you know as, as veterans age. Anyone else want to jump in on a bit on what Duce Staley said? Uh, I'm just going to jump in and say, in my opinion, I don't think Todd Gurley's coming. I think he'd be here by now if it was coming. Uh, I know we're waiting and they're talking about it, but I just think the longer it goes, the less legs it's got, if I'm perfectly honest. And signing Michael Warren as well, because from what I know in his years in Cincinnati and college, he actually was a huge factor in them becoming a, a near outside power five powerhouse which they are now he had like a thousand yards in his rookie year he could actually be a really good pickup so i think of every day that passes todd Gurley is probably going to be looking somewhere else for work yeah i mean um you know when staley said you know he started talking about his leadership um and all that kind of stuff i, I was struck by i don't know if anyone saw the the fantastic uh bit of roy Keane talking about jordan henderson uh, and his inclusion in the England team where he basically said, look, you know, Henderson's obviously not fit. He's, he's out of form. But, you know, um, someone was basically saying, well, it'd be good to have in the room, you know, it'd be good to have in the room. And Roy Keane, in, in a very Roy Keane way, said, well, what's he, what good is he going to do in the room if he can't play? What's, what's he good at? Card tricks? Um, and you kind of like think the same in terms of Gurley. You know, he, this is a guy who looked broken last season. This is a guy who's highlight reel last season was the the touchdown that should never have been um uh, i i just worry about having someone of that fragility in the room because I, surely you know someone who's carrying injuries and can't perform that that's not going to be great for like morale particularly if we've got like a young team um yeah i get the older head in the room but isn't that what people like juice staley should be you know providing in terms of leadership so that's kind of my take on it well, where's he going to fit in? We've got our running back one and two in whichever order you want to put them there. And he's not a third down guy who's going to be pass protecting because, like you say, he's broken. And we've got a guy in Jamar Jefferson who is perfectly capable of being a running back three. We don't want him taking snaps away from Swift, Williams or Jefferson. There's I'd just no point for him. I'd love to see Todd Gurley on our coaching staff. I think that would be a more appropriate place for him. Yeah, just not taking snaps away from any of the three guys who are going to be starting the season, hopefully. There's there's no place for him here. He's not a running back three, but he's not good enough to be in our top two running backs. Yeah, it is for that reason where if he gets signed for any more than the vet minimum, I'm against it. And if it is for the vet minimum, I'm still against it, but just not as much. <laughs> if it is the vet minimum, like it, it, it can't be that bad a deal because it's only a million dollars, right? But... I still wouldn't do it. Anyway, let's let's move on because we've got a lot, a lot to get through. Um, Anthony Lynn was the next up, and he said on the wide receivers that there's no established guy in the room, which he's telling for this group. But the guys smell opportunity. He likes the, com- uh, the competition in the group. On Swift, he said, uh, at this point in training camp, we're going to give the running backs a lot of work outside the box so they don't look like a fish out of water. He said he's got natural hands. He's learning the coverage, and he's able to sit in zones well. Uh, on Goff, he said, I'm familiar with him because the Rams and the Chargers practice together for a few off-seasons, but he's continuing to get better, learning the playbook. Um, on In terms of 
his deep throwing ability was highlighted that that was poor last year and he was asked how he's going to fix that and he said that good deep throwing comes off play action and play action comes off running the ball so you run the ball well the deep game's going to come into play on Gurley or another veteran running back he said uh, at one time he's considered one of the best in the game hopefully he's got some juice left heard great things about his intangibles and he'd be a good culture fit for Dan Campbell all of the questions seem to be about running backs, and he kind of defended himself a bit by taking it aside and saying, I'm not just a ground-and-pound guy, I'm a touches guy. Um, and he went on to say that Williams is a, a bigger running back. He can take some more pounds and gain some more yards after contact, but Swift can do that too. But Swift's maybe a bit more agile outside of the tackles. So that's interesting in terms of what scheme they might be used in when, when they're on, that you might have more outside zone with with Swift and more power running with Williams. So let's see if that works out. Anyway, on the running backs, he says he definitely likes to ride that hot hand. If you're balling out there, you're going to stay in the game. So you better perform when you go in there. On who's the starter right now? He said it's a competition and you get the best out of people by doing it that way. Uh, on volume, he said, I'm not a volume guy. You need to come in and perform from snap one, which I think is a great mentality and really you know, if the game's on the line, someone goes down injured, you've got to come in. You know, that's the situation you're preparing for every week, in my opinion. Uh, on TJ Hawkinson, he says he can be a perennial pro bowler. That's his ceiling. In person, he's even more impressive than on tape. Sky's the limit. Work ethic for the charts. Explosive, route savvy. He likes to, or he does read uh, coverages very well. And on race norming, he says, I've only just heard about this, but it's comical, it's insulting. We've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. So, again, black coach, race norm question. But aside from that, lots of good stuff there about the running backs on and on hop two. What what do you boys reckon, Ryan? Uh, it does. I don't know about you, but is anyone else slightly concerned that we're not going to have any wide receiver stand out? No one's going to take the scruffer by the neck. I know it's a very open case right now when we're trying out all these guys, but... I really hope someone can establish a wide receiver one role. It sounds like it's a bit pally at the moment and someone's going to have to take the ball by the horns. So for me, that is that is going to be quite a large concern. The running backs don't concern me because I think we've got a very contrasting duo. Like you say, Jamal Williams is going to be able to uh, get more of the hard yards. He's not a bigger back. He's not a huge back, but like compared to Swift, he's got a lot more behind him. So like I say, riding the hot hand, there's going to be no real starter. Like I say, if someone comes in and averages like 4.5 yards of carry, you're just going to ride that hand and they're going to keep taking the handoffs until that average drops. Like, And I'm fine by that. No one is, uh, no one gets a free ticket. Swift doesn't just become running back one just because of who he is. So I'm all fine with that. Like I said, I'm, I'm massively hiring Lynn. I think he was given too much to do as a head coach and he should have been focusing on what he does best. And that's going to be working on the run pass option. Protect Goff, get him a bit of space, give him some bit of movement. And like I say, those deep shots will come. Yeah, yeah and I think on that run pass option, what I'm really interested to see with Lynn is what he does with DeAndre Swift in terms of you know catching passes. So if you look back at, I think 2019 was the last season that Austin Eakler um, was fully fit at the Chargers. And in that year, I think he ran for 500 yards and three touchdowns, but he actually caught 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. And if we can get that level of production out of Swift, um, and I'm sure 
he knows the schemes that can do it. I'm, I, that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Any any comment on that, Ant? Um, well, particularly, I'm not surprised that the running back one room is, you know, open for competition. Like I say, I think Williams and Swift are as good as one another. I wouldn't be surprised if Williams got it, to be fair, to start. I really like him. I think he's more, you know, ready to go straight in there right from the start of the season. But I'm not against them slugging it out and making each other better. And I think we've got a good backup there as well. The receivers, again, I'm not surprised by him saying there's no standout there up. Don't know if it's a hot take or not, but out of every receiver we have on this team, there isn't a wide receiver one there and there isn't anyone who can become a wide receiver one there. Um, I think we're going to have to get one eventually. I mean, we can get good players. You know, Cephas, he can be a good receiver. Perryman can be a good receiver. Johnson can be a good receiver, but none of them are going to be your home-hitting wide receiver one in the long term. So I'm not surprised for him to say that. And it doesn't worry me. The wide receiver core is one of the areas that we didn't really invest too much in, and we lost a lot last year. It was always going to be a transitional year for that unit, and I'm not concerned about it. I'm looking forward to seeing who makes the most of their opportunity. Hopefully we can find like our second guy, our slot guy, our backup guys, and then come next year, you know, we go out and get our big wide receiver one and really make that unit something good. So I'm not concerned in the slightest about that. To rebuild, yeah. There's plenty of places to be won, just not that wide receiver one slot. But yeah, it's exciting. We've got a lot of guys. We've got a lot of different, you know, skills. We're going to be able to run a lot of different plays, you know, confuse teams. Campbell likes to get his mismatches in there and we've got guys who can do multiple tasks very well. So I'm still looking forward to seeing this offense this year. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, it's not going to be the finished product, but, you know, that's what happens in a rebuild. You have to wait until you get the finished product. So, yeah, yeah, that's well, very really. fair. Right, I'm gonna shoot through the players now. That was the remain uh, the coaches. Shoot through maybe taking a quote or two from each, so that we can get on to the main bulk of the podcast. So, start off with Julian Aquara, and he said it means everything to have Romeo here for the next three years. He's keen to build a legacy. His brothers have double digit sacks each. This year is something that he can see happening, and he is 100% fit. Tracy Walker said it's a blessing to play under Aaron Glenn. The success he's had with people in his position is outstanding. He is so happy right now. Uh, he talks about um, something amounting to servant leadership. And if you've never listened to the Detroit Lions podcast, I urge you do that because Chris has a great bit on servant leadership and what that means and, you know, doing what you can for the betterment of the team and, and you know, promoting good feelings and, you know, doing your best for the people around you in your community. And it seems like Trace is really taking that sort of message to heart, which is great. Uh, he also said on split safety looks, it's what he ran in college, that he's comfortable in that system and that he doesn't have to be in the box, but you're not going to know what he's doing either. So that's that's really encouraging. Brock, Michael Brockers said uh, about developing his pro mentality, that it just comes after a period of time. This was in reference to the fact he's got two rookies at the D-tackle position as well. Uh, he still feels like he's got a lot to give. When he comes into the building, he gives it all. But when he leaves, he's a father and a brother and, and a, you know, a family man. So he gives it all there and then gives it all outside too. Randy Bullock uh, revealed that uh, Jack Box and Don Morback have been working outside the facility already together and the kind of chemistry as a special teams unit is getting there, which is great. And Jamal Williams came in. And man, if you want to just laugh at 
10-15 minutes just listen to that guy it's absolutely amazing his energy is fantastic and yet he said about Deuce Daly he brings a juice and he's even a bit more sparky than me which is just great um he said he doesn't want to let the people down who believe in me uh and the the people are basically everyone in that organization um he's got the backing of everyone by the sounds of it so it's really cool that that's the thing which he really cares about he was asked about his dad passing away recently and he was glad to patch things up with him and his last words to his dad were i love you that was a really kind of nice and poignant moment. And just for me, I noticed that he said one of his favourite songs to amp himself up pre-game is Nobody by Skindred, which is one of my favourites as well. It's a, an absolute banger. So that, that's great. What do you guys think on all of those guys? Is there anything that I've written down that perhaps I haven't mentioned which which comes out to you? Or is there anything I have mentioned which you really like or don't like? I think Julian Aquara saying he wants to come out and both get double digits. That is... That is a bold move and a bold take. I like that. Like you say, they want to be the new uh, the new smash up bros. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how we use Julian Aquara and Romeo for that fact, like you say, because now we're moving to this different defense of a different front. We're going to have a slightly different feel this year. And this is a this is a big year for Julian because he was a healthy scratch barely for any of last year. I don't we barely saw him on any downs, so we don't really know what we're getting. But I think if if what he says is true and having Romeo here is really big to his development, then then too, I'm pretty sure they live together. That 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 will help him in every sense. And if he can learn and get that finishing instinct that Romeo has, then potentially we'll have someone that can uh, get some sacks from the outside linebacker position. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's gonna it's tough to see where they all fit in, to be fair. I mean, now that Trey Flowers is getting moved to outside linebacker, that you've got so much competition. For places there that to come in and get double digit sacks, you're gonna to have to have a really good start to the season and make yourself undroppable very quickly. But you know, it is nice to see goals set like that. But you know, I've been burned too many years now hearing these sound bites at the start of the season getting really hyped up. So it's yeah, they've got to come up and prove the goods this time. I think it's nice to hear it, but we need to see you know some action on it as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think on Michael Brockers. Yeah, we, we, were, we were kind of talking about leadership and what Todd Gurley could bring. You know, I think Brockers for me is um, a kind of ideal example of, of what kind of leadership you do want. Someone that, yeah, absolutely is going to be that senior person, going to be a mentor, but is also going to contribute and, and you know, hopefully be highly productive um, from the inside. So, you know, I, I think he's, he's one of the players I'm most exciting to see on, you know, game day one what he's bringing to the party yeah right we got a question from a from a viewer so sam lewis on youtube has just said which lines running back would you want to take in fantasy and would williams not fill the eckler role a little bit better thanks to his thickness a bit more than swift so any fantasy heads want to take that on i have a thought but i'll open it up first i've taken jamal williams really why i feel Jamal Williams' all-around game is better. He's better as a receiver, and I think he's got the same level of talent as a runner. I'm, you know, Swift has shown us what he can do, but if Williams gets that start first week, I think, you know, he's got a lot to prove. But I've seen a lot of him. I've seen a lot of his play over the years. His receiving skills are better, and his running skills are just as good. So right now, I'm taking Jamal Williams. I think. 
Williams is a good shout and um, because it's not the kind of like maybe the obvious pick, but I think what Juice Juice Steady was saying about um, Swift and you know, he wants to see that development. We've been really, really bad historically of bringing players through and 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 nurturing them and and watching them kind of like see have that like year two growth. I think probably Hawkinson is probably one of the few players where we've seen that that improvement. So if Swift can have like a breakout year like Hawkinson had, I think he's probably the, the long-term pick in, in fantasy. But I, I, I think Jamal Williams could be a bit of a sleeper. He, he well, could be so he could be someone to pick up on waivers in week two or three. Well, for me, I just I look at his production over the years, and in four years, he's got three thousand scrimmage yards despite being a clear running back. To you think of how much work Aaron Jones gets in Green Bay every mm-hmm. single game. And yet he's still got over 3,000 yards. You know, if he now gets a bigger proportion of the snaps and can show what he can really do, he's gonna we're gonna get some really good production out of him. I'm I'm not I'm not being sort of controversial because I I think you're absolutely spot on. But just bearing in mind the Green Bay offensive machine in the last couple of seasons, I wonder how many of those yards were meaningful. You know, first half or third third quarter yards against you know, stuff he picked up in the fourth quarter when, you know, the game was kind of like over. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out as a bit of a caveat. Could be. Could be. So, Carl Raymond on YouTube has replied to, to Sam's comment, and I think it's actually worth speaking about because it's something that I didn't really consider when thinking about fantasy because I think they're probably going to split the snaps pretty evenly. I think that I would probably lean towards Swift, but for this element. So, he said... In general, I think they will share the load. Swift is obviously more the home run threat if he gets in the open field, but Williams, I can see, getting the majority of the goal line reps, smashing it in for a touchdown from the one-yard line. And that is an element of fantasy which can't be underrated, right? If Swift runs 50 yards, but Williams gets the goal line for a touchdown, Williams has more points. So... See, I think another thing to put into account, it depends what sort of league you're in as well. If you're in a bigger league where you've got to look down the depth a bit. I think handcuffing them is a good option because I think either week you're going to get a starter there who's going to give you a lot of production. So I, if you're in one of the deeper leagues and you've got to look around a bit more, I'd, I'd handcuff them. Hmm. But I mean, that's, that's where sometimes you're, you bring your RB3 in for those kind of plays, right? Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, and Jefferson is good at his short yardage situations. That's clear on his tape. So he can do that role as well. All right, let's move on and look at our main feature, which is a look at the first seven Lions opponents of the season and have a look at how they drafted. So we're going to go through all of their picks, probably quite briefly, but never mind. I built a consensus board, which was uh, built from the Draft Network, Pro Football Network, Tankathon and PFF's draft board. So there's a mix in there of different ideologies and what have you. Hopefully that should all kind of average out to some sort of reasonable ranking and then the place where they were actually taken. So let's just go through them. Week one at, uh, at in Detroit against the 49ers. They started off pick number three, Trey Lance, consensus pick 13, quarterback, quarterback out of North Dakota State University. At 48, they picked Aaron Banks, guard from Notre Dame. He was the 100th consensus ranked player. And then Trey Sermon, 88, 92nd ranked player, running back out of Ohio State. Ambry Thomas, cornerback from Michigan at 102. He was ranked at 103. 
Jalen Moore for the tackle from Western Michigan at 155, ranked 193. Dio Morador Lenoir, I, I hope I didn't butcher that, cornerback from Oregon at 172, ranked 188. Talanoa Hufanga, the safety from USC at 180, ranked 119. And then Elijah Mitchell rounding things off at 194, running back from Louisiana, ranked at 170. Consistently perhaps reaching a little early on and then getting some value picks later. But what do you guys reckon, especially at the top of the draft there? Trey Lance obviously cost them three first round picks. So, I mean, he's probably not going to start either, but he's got to perform pretty quickly when he does, right? What they gave up to him, yeah, his capital that cost him. Whenever he's called into action, he's going to be expected to hit the ground running. If all plans out and goes well, then you probably don't see him this year. You probably get Jimmy G staying healthy and just steering the ship because he's just a game manager, in my opinion. I don't really rate him that highly. But like I say, I think they had a lot better value in the second half of their draft because, like I say, they got a good cornerback safety and an underrated running back. So I think... They patchworked the line. They reached a little bit in the first half, but for me, that was it. Was a it was a decent draft. It wasn't that bad. Like I say, when these players are expected to perform, they're going to have to create a stable line and help Lance when he has to escape the pocket if needs be. So it's going to be very interesting whenever he gets the call up. Yeah, I, I think week one is a really good time to play the 49ers because I think. They are probably still going to be very much um, in a quandary in terms of do we, do they start Lance or does Jimmy G play? Uh, I think they've got some long-term injuries from last season where the players are probably been quite short of game time. Um, and I don't know if anyone's seen the news today, but I think they've got two of their roster have got had season-ending injuries, I think an offensive lineman and a, and a defensive back. So what, whatever... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know whether the 49ers are practicing on an old Indian burial ground or, or what, but there's definitely something uh, that's cursing them in, in terms of, like, you know, problematic injuries. So I think it's a great time to play the 49ers. You know, I, I wouldn't want to be playing them week eight or nine. I'd be quite happy, like, having a go. And if Lance is taking snaps, you know, he's, he's going to be really under pressure to deliver. What are you about you, Ant? You you are our draft expert. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I think the overall message is what you said. The first half of the draft, I don't think they've done very well in that at all. But the second half, I think they've got some really good steals in there. I mean, you look at Banks, the second round pick, he was projected anywhere between round two and round six, which tells you a lot about what you need to know, even so close to a draft to be to have a four-round differential in your projection. I mean I've seen at his ceiling, they reckon that he can move out to tackle and be McGinchy's long-term replacement. But at his lowest, he could just flame out completely. And I don't think they're going to see the best of him early on there. So I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Sermon, Sermon's injury history. Now, you'd think with the problems that the 49ers have with injuries, they'd be trying to stay away from guys who have got bad injury histories. But Sermon, he's had a torn ACL. He messed his shoulder up really bad in the championship game in the season just gone against Clemson. And I mean, he's a really good running back. His line of scrimmage vision, that's really good. He can manipulate linebackers on the run. He's exactly the type of running back the 49ers will go for. And he fits their scheme really well. But 
it's that injury history, which I'm just thinking is you, you're taking a big chance there, especially given how heavy they rely on their linebackers. Thomas is another one who went a little bit too early for me, I reckon. He's not a starter. I don't think we're going to see him first up. I don't think we're going to see many of these guys first up there. Moore's a developmental tackle that they're moving inside to guard. He's a big guy. And I think over time, he's going to be really good. He's got massive arms, a big wingspan. And I think over time, you're going to see a lot more of him. But to start with, you know, Hufanga's the one to watch. I think they got an absolute steal with him where they did. I think we had him, the ranks I saw, had him in round three or four. The guy was a consensus All-American last year. He was the Pac-12 player of the year. He's pro-style built along the lines of the what the 49ers play. And just looking at him, he, he looks amazing. He's good in coverage. He can pass rush. He can read the QB really well. It's just with him, it's his consistency. But, you know, that's why guys go so far down there. But if they can get a consistent read out of him, and Shanahan is known for developing his defensive backs to a very high level. You see what the 49ers secondary is like when it's healthy. I think we're going to see a real good player there. And out of all the rookies, he's the one I'd be worried about on day one of this season coming up. And I agree with Ryan that Mitchell is really underrated. He got 4,000 yards and 46 touchdowns at Louisiana over four years. And he was in a running back by committee. You know, <laughs> you're bringing those numbers up every year when you're sharing shares with other guys. You know, he's, I think he's, he's a, the thing about these 49ers picks is they all fit the scheme. Shanahan's picked guys who fit what they do. And I think Mitchell's going to be really good there again in the long term. It's just consistency issues. But they had a bad first half and they had a really good second half. Yeah, I think the question is, you know, with Lance, are we going to see him first? That's the big question. Right. Let's move on to week two at the Green Bay Packers. And when I come to Steve first, but I'll just move down the list. Eric Stokes at 29, cornerback from Georgia, ranked 50. Josh Myers, the centre from Ohio State, taken 62nd, ranked 87. Amari Rogers, the wide receiver from Clemson at 85, ranked 110. Royce Newman at the tackle from Ole Miss at 142, ranked 200. To Daryl Slayton, interior defensive lineman from Florida, 173, ranked 308. Shamar John Charles, cornerback from Alakishan State at 178, ranked 265. Cole Van Lanen, the tackle from Wisconsin, 214, ranked 231. Isaiah McDuffie, the linebacker from Boston College, at 220, ranked 215. Finishing off with Kylan Hill, running back from Mississippi State, at 256, ranked 184. What do you reckon on that draft, Steve? Um, I wasn't impressed by the Packers draft, um, like some of the coverage that they got. I think there was some, you know, some analysts kind of gave them a pretty high grade, but I, I you know, I have I have to like kind of watch the unconscious bias here, but I just thought they they overdrafted Stokes. Stokes just wasn't someone that I I thought was worth taking that high. Um, I think there was much better corners still on the board when when they took him. Uh, I wasn't that impressed with Myers. I think Amari Rogers, their third round pick, was a good pickup. Um, but yeah, Stokes, very indifferent. I, I I know he's got raw speed, but he's still got a lot of work to do in terms of the rest of his game. Um, I'll be interested to hear what Ant's view is, but for me, not a great draft. Yeah, moving on to Ant, what do you think, man? Um, overall, I think they had a good start to the draft. They had a really bad middle, and they had a good ending. I mean, Eric Stokes, you know, was one of my draft crushes. I absolutely loved him. 
He's got speed to burn. His game does need polishing. And there is a, you know, a concern at 29. Is it a little too high? Maybe it is. But if they get the player that he can be projected to be, then they've got their guy opposite Alexander, which is what they've been looking for for years now. But he's a favourite player of mine and I can't brag on him. And I, 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 I think I think he could have still been there at 62. And... Yeah, yeah, I, I think... I had him in. I had him in the second. I would have minded us taking him at forty-two. I think it was or there, but I think he could have been there later. And I'm not sure it was their biggest need where they were. But you know, I, again, I really like the player, so I'm, I'm not going to rag on him too much there. I think if he reaches his potential, they have got a great guy there. But it is a risk taking him in the first. The Myers one, I sort of, you know, because I was my other favourite player was Creed Humphrey, the centre there, and I really laugh them off for passing up Creed Humphrey over Josh Myers. But looking at it a bit more, you've got to look in the history there. They've just lost Corey Lindsley, who's the best guy, you know, the best centre in the league. He came from Ohio State. Josh Myers is coming from Ohio State. And looking at the tape, it's the way they're trained there for what the Packers need. It suddenly makes a lot of sense that they go back to Ohio State for the guy who's trained in all the disciplines that he needs to be correctly, the sort of tackles they do, the, the double plays they do. He's the play caller on the offensive line. He's a natural leader on there, I think. It's going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. Corey Lindsley's done a hell of a job there and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to do well. But I see why they made the move and it makes sense now and they needed a centre. Um, Amari Rogers was another, maybe I wasn't as high on him at the start as I should have been. But again, look at his tape. I think they, they need a receiver. They need a a proper wide receiver two guy there. He could potentially be that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on there. And then as with the 49ers, they've picked a lot of scheme-specific guys. Royce Newman, he played last season. He played half his snaps as a left guard, half his snaps as a right tackle. You know, they've got guys like Elton Jenkins there who play all along that line. He's just some more depth. I think they like the guys who are very versatile on the line. In the middle of the Packer don't like Slayton, Gene Charles, Van Lanen. Not much there for me. McDuffie, I know Ryan did a section on him in our pro day things. I quite enjoy him. I think he's a good pick at 220. As is Kylan Hill, their last one. He was one of the guys I was... Because I said we'd take a flyer on a running back in the draft in the seventh if we got an extra pick and we did. It was just the wrong one. But Hill was in there. So I think he's good value. And I think you'll see him on the squad there. So we'll see. They've, they've taken a lot of risks. And yeah. it could potentially be a bad draft, but we'll see. What about you, Ryan? What do you reckon? Uh, like you say, he's pretty much summed it up. It's very hit and miss. I think Kylan Hill is could be a bit of a steal. Like that's a decent pickup at the end. Like you say, Mary Rogers. The, there's questions about that wide receiver room. Like you say, they could be missing a big key piece next year. So there's room to groom a new guy there. Like you say, of what's going on because, like you say, after Marquez Valdez Scantling. Equinemius St. Brown hasn't really cut the mustard, so they could use a wide receiver three that's moving into a two. Eric Stokes probably was a bit of a reach, but I still he still worries the hell out of me when we go against him. Because like I say, if we've not established any if a strong wide receiver call by week two, him and Alexander will uh, they could have a field day against us. So despite a reach, it could be a good fit against us using his speed. Because like I say, we're the only real potential speed of God wide receivers perryman so we could we could struggle with some separation against likes of eric stokes 
I was just about to say, I'd love to see Perriman and Stokes in a foot race against one another. Both of them are lightning. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see who came out on top of that. It would. It would. Right, let's move on to week three at the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and we have Rashad, Perry, sorry, Rashad Perryman, wide receiver from Minnesota, taking at 27, ranked 19th. Jason Davis. Oway, not Jason. Uh, he's changed it. With, he's being called by his other name, but I can't remember what it is offhand. Uh, Edge from Penn State, ranked 31. Uh, sorry, picked at 31, ranked 30. Ben Cleveland, the guard from Georgia at 94, ranked 135. Brandon Stevens, the cornerback from SMU, taken at 104. Not ranked on my board. Tylen Wallace, wide receiver from Oklahoma at 131, ranked 75. Or Sean Wade, the cornerback from Ohio State at 160, ranked 134. Dalen Hayes, the edge player from Notre Dame, taken at 171, ranked 178. And Ben Mason from Michigan, the running back, 184, ranked 262. And Ant, what do you make of the Baltimore Ravens draft? Um... They've got two steals at wide receiver, Bateman at 27, Wallace at 131. I mean, Wallace especially, how he dropped that far, I don't know. And there's absolutely no excuse for Lamar Jackson this year to not be able to throw to receivers. He's now got an arsenal of guys there to be able to aim at. I think they got great value with them too. With Adafi Owe, great value again at the end of the first. Those two first round picks really came in for them, but cornerback they've made some very very baffling ones those are two horrendous choices Brandon Stevens is not great he's got really questionable technique bad footwork he's not explosive you know especially at 104 and I think you said he wasn't ranked highly on yours or was he unranked did you say he he wasn't ranked in my top 320 off players yeah yeah again he, he, that's very questionable and Sean Wade and Brian will agree with me here is horrendous the second the ball gets behind Sean Wade, he becomes useless. I mean, if it stays in front of him, fine. But they've picked two cornerbacks who are really, really questionable. I don't think they're going to add anything to that secondary whatsoever. And if they're playing when they play us, I'm targeting them both all day long. But outside of that, yeah, the receivers, they did amazing. The secondary, they did really, really bad. But yeah, yeah, that's about- for me a bit of both. How about you, Ryan? What do you reckon? Oh, I hate Orway. I think that's a terrible pick. It's another pick where you just... It's, people have got to stop looking at the combine because I'm not going to be funny. If you look at stats for Penn State, he did absolutely nothing. He went through college and got seven sacks. He, did, he barely did anything in 2020. He got just over five in 2019. There's nothing. There's no production. They're going, they're going off all this raw athleticism and that he's just an athletic freak. At the end of the day, he, he has got the potential to be a huge bust. And for me, I would not feel comfortable taking him that high because I think he's going to be one of those players that's just, he's not going to deliver. If he didn't do it at Penn State, I don't see why he's going to be able to do it at the next level. So I don't like that pick. I totally agree with Ben. I'm predicting that Tylon Wallace will outperform Rashad Bateman in his rookie year Ooh. massively. That, wow. Big call. Tylon Wallace was fantastic, and I wanted us to draft him. Like He is a savvy route runner. He's got good pace, good hands. I was surprised he fell that far, to be honest. He, he, was, a, he was a great pick. I'd say there's some shaky corners there. For me overall, this is quite a poor draft. I really don't think it's helped them all that much. A few dodgy corners, but 
I'm not feeling their draft at all. And their additions, other than the wide receivers, don't worry me that much in week three. We'll still beat us, but not because of who they've picked. What about you, Steve? What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I think Owe got double teamed a lot at Penn State. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I do agree. This, it's a classic sort of pick of production over, you know, RAS score and, and, and what's the best route to go down. So, you know, we'll see. But um, I think there was a lot of risk to Owe. Um, I, I thought Bateman was a good pick. I mean, I've, I've, I do agree Tylen Wallace is, has got massive potential, but I think Bateman's a really solid pick and I think they got good value at 27. Um, and yeah, I mean, their, their defensive picks were pretty out there, but to be honest, it's the Ravens. Uh, I think, you know, defense is probably one of the, the best units in, in the AFC. So, um, you know, they can probably afford to be, uh, have a couple of reaches on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of this draft. I loved Bateman as a prospect and I agree about Wallace that he's going to perform well, even if I don't agree with Ryan quite that he's going to outperform Bateman, but the rest of it is by the by. Cleveland is potentially a, a nice pick there, but We'll see. Right, let's move on to at Chicago in week four. Start off with the player that the Lions could have taken but declined. Justin Fields calls back Ohio State picks at 11 with the big trade up, ranked number six. Tevin Jenkins, a tackle at 39, another trade up. Oklahoma State, ranked 24. Then all the way down to 151 with Larry Brom, tackle from Missouri, ranked 203rd. Khalil Herbert taken at 217, the running back from Virginia, ranked 95. Daz Newsom, the wide receiver from North Carolina, taken at 221, ranked 266. Thomas Graham Jr., cornerback from Oregon, taken at 228, ranked 112. And Kyrie Tonga, the interior defensive lineman from BYU, taken at 250, ranked 174. I'm going to come to Ryan first. What do you reckon about the Bears draft? Oh, it was really good. And it, it's really upsetting to say that, but I think they got quality across the board. You just have to say that, like, some of these players, like Kyrie Tonga from BIU, probably should have gone a lot further, but he, he was a good steal. I do worry, like, is there any chance Justin Fields could be starting by week four, or it could be a bit later? Like, there's a very real possibility that he could be the man we line up against, and that will be a huge test for us. But I think across the board... I think they had a very solid draft. Like Khalil Herbert, like, I remember speaking about the pro days, like a very versatile back at Virginia Tech. Like he offers something to some behind uh, David Montgomery. So I feel like he's someone that could take that uh, the common role. It could be a very rotational, good pair of backs. So I think overall they had one of the better drafts in the NFL, like which for me is quite worrying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm not convinced by the draft. I, I I agree they've got some late late value, but in terms of draft needs, I think by going all in on fields, they're taking a massive gamble because their roster has got some huge holes in it. You know, I mean, after cutting Kyle Fuller, um, you know, replacing him with Trufant, um you know, corners a massive need. And I'm not sure, you know, Thomas Graham, I think they drafted in the sixth round. I'm just not sure that that fills the hole. Um, and, you know, and then the Bears did a classic Bears thing by, you know, they've, they've got Tevin Jenkins who slid to 39. They've got great value there. But then they released Charles Leno, their left, left tackle, like a week later. 
Um, so I think that this draft poses as many questions as it answered, and it is a gamble. And if Fields isn't doesn't pay off, um, or you know, if something goes wrong in that QB room, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine what camp situation is going to look like with, you know, Dalton, Nick Foles lurking around in the background, Fields, the pressure is going to be on him, so much expectation. I think this has got the potential to go wonderfully wrong, and I really hope it does. What about you, Ant? What do you reckon? Um, I agree with Steve that they didn't draft for need, and some of the picks were a bit of a head-scratcher, but if you're just looking at the individual players that they drafted... If you take Larry Borum out of that, then they had, for me, an A-double-star draft. They had an amazing one. I mean, Fields, I love Justin Fields. I absolutely hate the fact that we're going to be facing him, at least for the next five years, until they've ruined the hell out of him. Um, but he's potentially the guy they've not had for so many years now. And for them to get him at 11 was an absolute steal because they really needed the tackle, but then that decision got made even better by Jenkins slipping to 39. I don't know how the hell he got down that far, considering the likes of Leatherwood went in the middle of the first round, which is baffling. They got great value within their ballroom. Nah, you're not going to see anything of him. He's terrible. I wouldn't expect to see a great deal, and he was the one really bad pick, which would drag it down. But like Ryan said, Herbert's a steal at 217. Newsom is the steal of the draft. At 221, to get him there, he will be the best draft steal this year, in my opinion. I did a piece on him when Ian asked about the new Tyree kill, if we're going to find someone down there. I projected him in the fifth, and I thought that was been very generous. I thought he was going to go a lot higher than that. Kid's got speed, massive burst about him, good hands. He can do special teams. He can play as a running back. He can be the complete package. And to fall to 221 was just nothing short of... I don't know how they did it. And Graham and Tonga at the back, both really high ceiling guys who, if they pull it off for where they got them, it's going to be a hell of a good draft for them. So positionally, maybe not what they needed, but the guys they got, I can't fault it at all. Apart yeah. from boring. No, so I, I really love their draft, but I do worry it's just the the right place at the wrong time for them. Their, their front office team is woeful. They've mismanaged their cap They've mismanaged their player personnel. And now you've got Fields walking in into a situation where they should have a good O-line for the first time in ages. But because they've got two quarterbacks on their team that they don't need taking up cap space, who they can't restructure, they've had to cut a starting left tackle and make Jenkins a replacement for a starter rather than an addition. And it's woeful mismanagement. You'll see Chicago underwhelm. The entire staff will be fired. And then you'll have a new team come in who haven't picked Fields. And will they get behind him? I think they'll have to in order to be given the job, but they may not actually like him. You know, I just think it's it's a situation which is terrible for Fields. And, I mean, God forbid that Chicago say, get in the playoffs, and yet Alan Robinson still wants to leave. This coaching staff in front office remain, and they still got cap problems, but this time their draft picks are much, much worse. So, you know... Chicago winning might actually be the worst thing for them in the long run in this year because I just don't see a good future for them in the next few years. Uh, we're going to run short of time, so I need to move on to, to week five. And at Minnesota, we have got Christian Darasaw, tackle from Virginia at 23, ranked 12. Kellen Mond, the quarterback, 
66 from Texas A&M, ranked 77. Chaz Surratt, the linebacker from North Carolina, 78, ranked 90. White Davis, the guard from Ohio State, taken 86, ranked 46. Patrick Jones, the edge from Pittsburgh, 90, ranked 137. Ken Wangu, the running back from, uh, from Iowa State, at 119, ranked 219. Cameron Bynum, the cornerback from California, at 125, ranked 131. Janarius Robinson, the edge from Florida State, at 134, ranked 185. Amir Smith-Marset, the wide receiver from Iowa, at 157, ranked 114. Zach Davidson, the tight end from Central Missouri, at 168, ranked 195. And Jalen Twyman, the absolutely massive and immobile edge player from Pittsburgh, at 199, ranked 205. Steve, what do you reckon on the Vikings? Well, this was a kind of curious draft. I, I think um, they did really well in terms of the draft capital, the extra draft capital that they got with, I think, the trade up with the Raiders. Uh, I think if that, I think that was right. Um, so, you know, Darasaur, maybe not, not my choice there, but the consensus pick was that that, that was a decent pick. I, I, I'm not convinced on Darasaur, and I think... Um, Ryan or Ant, I, I know when you did your draft summary, you, you weren't 100% sold on him. Um, I think Kellen Mond for their second pick is a curious one. You know, I mean, Cousins is going nowhere for the next two years. Um, yeah, it's it's a good long-term move, I guess, if if that's what you're looking to do in terms of replace Cousins and, and, and get him to sit. But the, the Vikings have got so much need, so much need on defence. And, you know, it, it kind of looks like their draft board must look like a sort of dartboard after a, a long night in the pub because there, there just seems to be a lot of reaches and a lot of kind of like random picks. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. I think Suat at um, 78 was a good pick. Um, but, yeah, the, the, there's a whole load of need that I think is still unaddressed. What about you, Ant? What do you reckon about the Vikings? Um, they had a bad start. I'm with you. I know you and me are both very critical of Darasaur. People said that that was a steal at 23. I don't see it. I think he's going to prove to be average at best, and I think they just made a really bad pick there. Kellen Mond, you know, he's potential to be a good quarterback, but pick 66 way too high for him, way too high. Should have been going in the early hundreds for me, and I'm not really worried about him as... Cousins' long-term successor there. Round three they had was really good. Outside of Mon, they had three more round three picks. Charles Surratt, Wyatt Davis, Patrick Jones, all steals there for me. They had a really good round three, and I think those three are going to come on to be really integral parts of that team. Round four, not that good. Uh, Nangu. I mean, Cameron Bynum, he's small school from California. That's really high for a guy who's played at that level. I don't think he's going to do much. Nor Jamarius Robinson. The only other good one there out of those is Smith Marset for me. I think he's a good receiver, and I mean, they need receivers because outside of Thielen and Jefferson, they've got nobody. But I think Smith Marset will be good. But on the whole, it was disappointing. Just that third round saved them. What about you, Ryan? What do you reckon? Well, I think the the, the tale of Minnesota is they live and die by the offensive line, don't they? Because it's been a bit, it's been ravaged. So they they did their best. I didn't like the Darrell pick. I'm not keen on him. I'm not keen on his personality, and I think that'll translate into his football at some point. So I think his ceiling is very capped. I, on the other hand, I know Cal. I think Bynum actually is a decent corner. 
I just he could be someone that could surprise a few people. I I also like a uh, Smith uh, Emir Smith set. Like say they lost Chad Beebe, so they do need a bit of wide receiver depth because Adam Phelan won't be there forever. Kellen Mond was a huge reach. We all know he would have been there in the third round at latest. Like you say, he would he would have easily been there in third. I think, I think that was a reach. Like you say, but like you say, it, it's just a case of plugging now. They do need to work on the offensive line. They do need to gel. The edge players weren't bad. If they're potentially preparing for the uh, Daniel Hunter leaving, then they took a decent player in Patrick Jones. So there could be a future replacement right there. So it was a bit hit and miss, really. But I suppose we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, I just think quickly for me, nothing there moves the needle from from mediocre. Just to qualify on Darasaur, I do think he's got the quality. It's just his attitude which concerns me. He just doesn't look like he enjoys football when it's really concerning. Need to move on to quickly finish this off. But Steve, you just wanted to say something quickly. I, I just want to say that, you know, Anne's has possibly got the soundbite of the, the podcast so far by saying uh, about the, the Vikings receivers. Outside of Jefferson and Thielen, they've got nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Second and third best receiver in the division. Yes, but it is literally them two. There's no depth after them. So if one of them gets injured, then they're in a bit of a hole there. I'm not saying Jefferson and Thielen aren't good, but there's no depth. Yeah, right. Let's move on to week six. Uh, At Detroit, so versus the Cincinnati Bengals, we've got at five, Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU, ranked number five. Jackson Carmen, guard from Clemson, 46, ranked 61. Joseph Osai at 69, the edge player from Texas, ranked 41. Cam Sample, the edge player from Tulane at 111, ranked 132. Tyler Shelvin, the interior defensive lineman from LSU at 122, ranked 106. Dante Smith, the tackle from East Carolina at 139, ranked 146. Evan McPherson, the kicker from Florida at 149, ranked 186. Trey Hill, the sensor from Georgia at 190, ranked 201. Chris Evans, the running back from Michigan at 202, ranked 150. And Wyatt Hubert, the edge player from Kansas State at 235, ranked 304. I can't remember where I'm meant to be starting here. Let's go for Steve. What do you reckon on the Bengals? Well, this is all about philosophy, isn't it? So it's, you know, do you put do you pick Saul at five and protect Burrow, or do you give him, you know, his favorite receiver from LSU? And, you know, the the Bengals will be proved right or wrong, depending on whether they can protect Burrow um, and, and whether he you know, has a repeat of that terrible injury he got last year. And I think you know, there's a lot of pressure on Jackson Carmen to strengthen that line. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not sure whether that's the guy that I would be, be banking on to kind of shore up a, a line that I, I know that they've got uh, they've, they've got Riley Reef, I think, has, has, has gone gone across, but. Again, you know, a, a player in, in the twilight. I, I think Asai at uh, their third third round pick was a bit of a steal. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of work still to do with that Bengals. And my worry is, I, I think Chase will be a star. But I wonder, you know, I, I, I wonder how protected Borough will be and whether Chase will actually be able to, you know, produce as much as he's capable of. Um, because of that offensive line. What about you, Ant? What do you reckon? Um, I learned something new during this draft. I learned that 
the Bengals do their own version of The Purge, the film. So every three hours on a Sunday, legalized murder is allowed because apparently they just don't want to keep Joe Burrow healthy. I mean, passing on Sewell was just, they're just putting an open sign on him going, yeah, go and hit him. It's, it was a really baffling choice. I don't know why they gave him another option. They weren't really struggling at receiver. They had some good options there. And they've got Jackson Carmen instead. Now I know everyone will say Carmen has, you know, guarded to Trevor Lawrence for the last few years, but there's a lot of, you know, talk that he's going to become a guard. He doesn't have what it takes to be a tackle at the elite level. So I don't like that pick. I didn't like the chase one, even though he will be a good player. The three defensive ends were all great picks. Osai is steel. Sample's going to be really good. And Wyatt Hubert at the end. I love those. Chris Evans, you're not going to see him. He just got worse and worse for Michigan every year. His output kept going down. I don't think you're going to see him on that team anytime soon. And the other tackle, the offensive tackle, Dante Smith, I'm not keen on either. I don't think they improved. And I think they're going to rule the decision to not have Sewell there. Brian, some brief thoughts on the Bengals? Pretty much covered it. Yeah, like you say, Joe Burrow is once another serious injury away from, like, say, potentially career changing fate. And they had an opportunity to get a major upgrade to protect him. And instead, they decided to take the luxury pick and reunite him with his old pal. Whether he had a say in that or not is fair enough. And yeah, he could be a star, but Burrow's going to have to be doing a lot of running around and throwing off his back foot if Jefferson wants to catch any passes. So I think as a building a uh, fundamental, I'd say that they missed a trick there. The defensive picks are good. I'd say they compare those edges with uh, Trey Hendrickson, I believe they brought in. So they could have some really fearsome pass rush, which actually could work out in the long run quite well. So they, they, that was pretty good picks, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that that was the smartest pick. I think it was a bit rabbit in headlights, a bit fancy. And I think they'll ruled that decision. Just quickly, I, I think it's a sneaky good draft. I'm not against the chase pick. I know that you need to protect your quarterback, but I think that they've done enough in order to let them get away with it. I think that at the end of the day, they're looking at this rookie quarterback and thinking, we're in our window and we need to get better right now and we're going to do it through skill position players. We're prioritising the best skill position player on the board at five. And I think they've done enough to protect Burrows. Also, on Chris Evans, I agree with some of the draft analysts who say he's going to be a more pro-ready guy than he was at college, that his skill set is just more suited to the NFL. So we'll see what happens with that. Very quickly, just going to go through week seven, the final one for today at the Rams. And we've got 2-2 at Wellwood. Wide receiver from Louisville at 57, ranked 149. Ernest Jones, a linebacker from South Carolina at 103, ranked 155. Bobby Brown, the third, the interior defensive lineman from Texas A&M at 117, ranked 128. Robert Rochelle, the cornerback from Central Arkansas at 130, ranked 127. Jacob Harris, a wide receiver from UCF at 141, ranked 173. Ernest Brown, the edge player from Northwestern at 174, ranked 253. Jake Funk. The running back from Maryland at 233, ranked 323. Ben Skoranek, the wide receiver from Notre Dame at 249, he was not ranked. And Chris Garrett, the linebacker from Concordia at 252, ranked 337. Five minutes on this, boys, starting off with Anne. A really bad draft. A really bad draft. There's only two guys who I like in there as players. I, I love Chuterius Atwell, but he went way, way, way too high. 
I think he'd have still been there maybe 30, 40 picks later. They could have probably got him with that third round pick, in my view. But he's going to be a really good player. And I think Stafford's going to love him. He's just got speed to burn. He's a good route runner. He's got everything you need there. And I think he's going to become a real good player. And Robert Rochelle was the other one. He was in my draft. I wanted him in Detroit. He's a sort of cornerback safety hybrid. He's going to be really good in the NFL. And the way they develop their, you know, secondary, I think he's going to be a hell of a good player there. But outside of that, nothing really got me excited. And I don't think there was a great value for money in there for a lot of those picks. So we'll see because history says they do really well. But for me, they didn't draft well at all. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I liked Ben Skoronek because I like Notre Dame. He was a he was an okay pickup. There was a chance he went undrafted, so maybe they maybe they shot the shot shot the gun too early. They could have waited, but I think he's a reasonable pickup. He's a good solid possession receiver. I did a pro day look upon Tutu Atwell. He's fantastic in everything, but he weighs about as much as Ratatouille. The kid's about 140 pounds. Like he has got to gain some serious weight. Like say he's like Sam said, he should have gone a lot later because of the potential build issues. Like it, it could be a later life issue, but I think he's got all the skills to be an absolute burner. He's a good solid route runner. Everything in between was just no, disappointing. But Robert Rochelle. Like say a few years ago, nine interceptions for Central Arkansas. It could be an FCS steal. Like he he was going to be one of those really high ceiling players, but also a very low floor. If he lives up to that the FCS thing, like say it could be a boom or bust. But if they develop him like they have their other center, their other defensive backs, he could be one to watch out for this year. But other than that, a very below par draft. What about you, Steve? Bring us home. Well, um, the Rams have just acquired this new quarterback, uh, this guy called Matt Stafford. I don't know if anyone's uh, heard of him. But uh, the one thing that we, we know from Detroit is that Stafford needs protection. And their biggest need was offensive line. Um, you know, they struggled last year. Andrew Whitworth's got a really bad injury history. Um, he missed a lot of time. I think he missed most of the season. Um, so, you know, you were just looking for them to bolster that offensive line and they didn't take anyone. So I'm kind of mystified. Um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't seem to add up to me. Yeah. That, Rochelle is a good pick and I, I agree on Atwell, but you know, why aren't they protecting Stafford? Um, because, you know, he's, he needs protection. He, he, he needs to be, have time to, to pass the ball. He's not the most mobile. He's not going to get any more mobile. Um, so it, it was really mystifying for me and I, I'm not sure what's going on there maybe they've got a, a free agent that they're going to pick up but I, I think they need a couple to, to bolster that line especially in that division I mean you think of the pass rushing combos in that Rush. division alone yeah. yeah Bosa you're Bosa you've got you know the Cardinals want guys there they're stacked the, the 49ers are stacked now everyone's healthy the Seahawks they've got a decent pass rush as well Jamal Adams like yeah, I would, I would not want to be Matthew Stafford next year. He is going to get, he's going to get walloped. He's going to get hit a lot more than he did this year. It's the hardest division in football, I think, and I don't think that's particularly contentious. Right, that's going to wrap it up for our first seven opponents. The next seven we're going to have a look at this time next week. We've got Austin Gale coming up in ten minutes time, and so we're going to take a quick break. But we'll see you in about ten minutes. Bye for now.
Welcome back into episode 60 of the Rural Alliance UK podcast named, and I'm going to give it some more credit to, to Ant for this one. I tried to think of an episode name, but like Aaron Rodgers, nothing turned up. Now joined by Austin Gale, the director of content at PFF and host on 2 for 1 Draft, as it's named now, but in a month's time, that's going to change. So that's going to screw up all of my uh, uh, ranking system for Google. When I name this podcast, I'll have to change it when you do, but there we go. How are you doing, Austin, man? Doing great, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate having someone of your, your stature on on our, our little British pod. Um, we're going to start with a question from Ryan. Ryan, take it away, man. Yeah, my question to you is, uh, now all the head coach positions have been assigned, the draft is done. From what you know about college, in the last few years, we saw PJ Fleck get a huge seven-year deal at Minnesota. We've now seen Nick Saban get the huge extension at uh, Bama. And uh, the Matt Campbell rumoured turn down Detroit offer and getting his big offer from Iowa State. Who is the next coach that could jump up to the NFL? And is this Nick Saban now retiring at Bama or will he cut that short? Will we ever see him in the NFL? Who is that big name to watch out for, in your opinion? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I do think that uh, talking to PJ Fleck recently on the podcast, I think he's wholeheartedly committed to the collegiate level, very much committed to Minnesota football as well. I don't see him making a jump to the NFL, at least not in the near future. And I think you would, you could see Nick Saban in the same vein. Like Nick Saban, I think his goals at this point in his career are to be the best college football coach of all time. Like, and he is well on his way to being in consideration, if not already considered the best, if not one of the best college coaches of all time. I think Dabo Sweeney is an interesting conversation. I really like him as a coach. Um, like Curry Smart is another one. Like these guys that are organizing bigger programs and, and getting – above expectation play out of their players. Because I do think that while it may feel that, you know, college coaches at the college, you know, coaches at the collegiate level make that natural progression into the NFL. So college head coaches, the NFL head coaches, the, the games are so different. You know, the programs are so different. Recruiting is so much different than signing players and, and being part of personnel development, those types of things. So I do think that there are coaches like Flat, like Saban, um, like Tom Allen of Indiana, that are so good at coaching and so good at recruiting young kids, like literally 18, 19 year olds, where their skill set is almost best set for college football. Well, there are others that are head coaches maybe in college football right now, but want to be position coaches or other low level coaches in the NFL before working their way into the NFL. I do think that's why you see more natural progression from offense coordinator, defense coordinator to NFL head coach than you do see college head coach to NFL head coach, because it's such a change. It is such a big change to, uh, from a personnel standpoint, what, fundamentally how you're coaching these players, the amount of players you're coaching, all that type of stuff. Because I think through the few interviews I've done you know, with college head coaches over the past few weeks, Clay Hilton, Jed Fish, PJ Fleck, Tom Allen, a commonality in some of the successful ones are that they are coaching human beings. They are trying to invest in human beings and turn these people into, turn these players into good people on and off the field, get these kids to graduate. That is such a different mentality than coaching adults who are paid millions of dollars to try and win football games. You know, and I do think that there are some coaches that want to stay at the lower ranks because of that mentality. And then there are others that want to you know, eventually move up. I do think um, it, it's interesting that the, the, the coach here at Oklahoma, the guy who's done so much, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley, who's done so much with the quarterback position. That is a name that I think is going to be talked about a lot. I think Scott Frost is another one where I know he hasn't had a ton of success at Nebraska, but still the guy that has proven he can be a leader of men. I do think those are two names I like, but again, some of these guys have to show what they can do. Similar. Here's a good example. Um, the coach there, Brady, Joe Brady there at Carolina, 
who goes from LSU, is now an offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, and is going to be probably the biggest name on any head coaching search this upcoming offseason, especially if Zach Taylor does get the can here in Cincinnati, and then that opens up for Joe Burrow and Joe Brady to be reunited. So I do think that you'll see more of that than you do see head coach to head coach transitions from college to NFL. How do you think the new Lions coaching team, you know, Aaron Glenn, Anthony Lynn, may sort of make some progress in bringing some prospects through that maybe, you know, um, have already been on the Lions roster for a couple of years, but haven't really seen that like development? I mean, honestly, I was a huge fan of the Detroit Lions draft. I mean, I love what they did staying put, taking Panay Sewell. He's the number four overall player on PFS draft board. To get him at seven there is, you know, a moderate value. I also really liked Levi Wuzurike where they got him. I know he was a little bit lower on PFS draft board, but it's still an area where I would invest in Levi Wuzurike. I think he is going to be a completely different player than what he was in 2019. Obviously opted out of 2020 when he came on my podcast. I mean, he talks so much about how much his body has changed and, and, and his expectations for this upcoming season. I think he's very raw. He's a project, but honestly a project worth investing in, especially at that spot. And I don't think, I think everyone on this podcast probably knows, but I'm a big Lee McNeil fan. I think Lee McNeil of NC State, a guy that can play true nose in the NFL and actually rush the passer is, is, is a very successful pick at 72. Afatu Melifanu had a really good senior bowl. Playing at outside corner is probably going to be a better spot for him. <clears throat> Excuse me. than maybe where his brother played at safety. I think playing him at outside corner, though maybe he doesn't have an immediate path to the field with some of the investments they've made at corner. So I think can contribute very early. And then Amon Ross St. Brown, who I thought we were lower on compared to the NFL, he gets drafted at 112. He was the 87th ranked player on PFS draft board. I think that's a huge win for Detroit as well. I think this draft class was not drafting for need. I think a lot of people wanted him to go receiver and, and attack these pressing needs. They didn't have to do that. This draft class went for value. They went after Pedesul, Muzurike, McNeil, Fatu, Amonra, all guys that we considered value or average to above average picks in the selections they got them because they're very self-aware. I mean, this is a Detroit Lions team that will be in, content, you know, in contention to pick number one overall next year. They could be picking, they're, they're likely to pick in the top three. This is not a good football team. I think there's opportunity for Jared Goff to raise the floor of this offense a bit. I think how bad he is has been overstated. I don't think he's a bottom five quarterback in the NFL, not among starters right now. I think he could be better than that. So for that reason, I do think Detroit, while the roster isn't good, they've gone through a lot of turnover. The entire coaching staff has been redone. This is um, going to be a team that I think will be competitive. And I do think developing that talent is the number one thing. If you talk to Detroit Lions fans, some are like, man, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, we can maybe compete for the division. And it's like, that's not, that's not your goal. You know, your goal in 2021 is to develop Panay develop Amon Ross St. Brown. You know, develop Ali McNeil, DeAndre Swift, these young players, you know, Je Jeffrey Akuda. Go develop this young talent and put them in a position to succeed when you actually can swing the bat on a, you know, a better quarterback prospect than you currently have, when you're not completely cap-tied to Jared Goff and, and, and his situation there, and go after, say, a Spencer Rattler next year or maybe Sam Powell. I know a lot of people like Malik Willis. There's a lot of quarterbacks that could be, you know, you could take this upcoming year or continue to make this a two-year rebuild and start to approach 2023 at the quarterback position again. They are in a good position to develop a lot of young talent. That should be the number one thing on their board. Ryan? Uh, speaking of next year, like I said, we're looking forward to 2022. If the Lions didn't go quarterback, what position do you think offers good value? Because now we've got like uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, mm -hmm. got Kyle Hamilton, who's one good year away from being a top 10 safety. We've got Derek Stingley Jr. If one of these corners doesn't work out. Who would is the high value pick outside of quarterback in your putting you on the spot? 
I, I really do think it's Kayvon Thibodeau. I think Kayvon Thibodeau, I think Seth Galina, another analyst here at PFF, has said that he could be the first player off the board. You know, if Spencer Rattler doesn't meet expectations this year or, you know, Sam Howell takes a step back with a lot of the talent even leaving UNC, maybe maybe people, you know, maybe this is a Miles Garrett type of draft where Kayvon Thibodeau dominates and he ends up being the number one overall pick. There's, there's potential there. And I do think he's that good. I think some of the issues, he's not going to see a lot of top flight competition on his tape. You know, playing in the Pac-12, there are not a lot of legit off the tackles in the Pac-12. You have to hope he sees some good competition or just dominates. Like if Kevin Thibodeau, it doesn't matter who you play. If he just, you know, wrecks like he did late in the season last year, I think there's, there's going to be opportunity there. But I think Thibodeau's got to be your guy you're looking at if you're a Detroit Lions fan. There's, they want to invest along the defensive line. Their pass rush can significantly improve on the outside specifically. You just added – Levi Muzrike and Lee McNeil on the interior continue to invest along that defensive line. I think Thibodeau, I would lock my sights on him. If the Detroit Lions are in a position to take him, say other teams are taking quarterback like Houston or whoever it may be, that would be the player I'm looking at first. If you did have a four-man defensive front and you do have Romeo, Aleem, Levi, and Thibodeau, that's that's a defensive line to be reckoned with next year, maybe. Yeah, that's that's how you do it, too. I mean, I think they're... I, I, it's underrated how good this offensive line is as well. If you go to the other side, I think it's a top 10 offensive line according to PFS latest rankings. And I would agree with that. Like even though Penesul is young and will be flipping the right tackle, I still really like the floor of this offensive line with Taylor Decker, with Frank Ragnow. Obviously we're big fans of Logan Stenberg and um, forget my guy. Who's my guy on the right, right car. Ohio state kid. Um, oh, the UDFA. Um, yeah, oh. no, no, not the UDFA. Um, second year player, Jonah Jackson. Oh, Jonah Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Good about. I, I do think that this Detroit Lions offensive line could be a top ten unit. And then more, I talk about the Lions. You know, if this coaching staff isn't a mitigated disaster like it was, you know, with Pat, Matt Patricia, like I don't know. I, I, I do think this is a team that I'm not saying going to be playoff competitive, but I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they sneak 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 away six or seven wins in 2021. Well, um, just just to finish off this bit, obviously about the Lions and their rankings. We've we've seen the PFF 32 team ranking for this year, and obviously we're 30 seconds now. You look at a team like the Texans; they're in freefall. They've hired a lot of guys on one-year deals, average guys. The one truly elite guy they've got in there in Watson is mired in controversy and wants out. What what specifically is it about the Lions that puts us right at the very bottom, even below someone like the Texans, who don't seem in a really good position at all? Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a competition between them two for every preseason power rankings because they are the two, in my opinion, worst rosters in the NFL. However, Houston, I do think, has this, when you run the simulations, there are some that include Deshaun Watson playing some games this year, which is absurd and honestly is hard to speak to. Like, you don't know what's going to happen, but there are, there are situations where, you know, that court case doesn't happen until 2022 and the league suspension is only 10 games or whatever it may be. Like there are situations where Watson does play some football games this year. And if that's the case, I mean, obviously props up the floor of this team. And I do think that if I was a betting man, I'd bet on the Lions, you know, finishing better than the Houston Texans this year, just because I feel more confident in the floor of this team. Because the floor for the Houston Texans is 0-17 next year. Like that's how bad this team could be if they start a combination of Davis Mills and Terod Taylor. Like that's how bad the roster is. Coaching staff is all very new. But it will be a competition, I think, between Detroit and Houston for those bottom two teams until another, another part of the conversation is obviously quarterback injury. You know, every year we have you know, different teams that do have suffer a quarterback injury and find themselves you know, lower in the rankings than maybe previously people thought. Just to get in one very, very quick question from a listener. Sorry about my tech issues before you go. But as uh, Ashley has asked, uh, you talk about your dad quite a lot in the pod with stories up front. Do you have any stories in the UK involving him? 
do do the in the UK? I didn't hear that last part. Yeah, yeah. Just in the UK, has he had any sort of stories or anything like that? I wish, man. I haven't been out to the UK. It's unfortunate. I, I got to get out to the UK. But um, yeah, man. I, I do have. I, I I want to. I have some buddies out there in the UK. I'll probably make my way out there. I had plans. Had plans to go out to the UK in 2020, but uh, we all know where that went. I'm um, probably going to try and make a play out there in 2021 or 2022. But uh, I'm excited, man. I'm a big fan of. Uh, a big fan of England. A big fan of that area. I want to get out there. Look forward to that, seeing you down here, maybe have a pint outside Wembley or, or the Tottenham Hospital Stadium for, for one of the games down there. That'd be cool. Thank you so much for, for coming on to the pod. It's been a big coup for us, and I'm sorry about my tech issues. I don't know how this is actually going to turn out in terms of the record, but really appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we get to speak to you again in the future. Good luck with all the changes with the pods. Wish you all the best. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. All right. Just to apologize to our listeners again for my tech issues the internet has been iffy the past couple of days um but we thought we had it sorted and it picked the optimum time to go down i really have no idea how this is going to go when i'm editing it together if i can salvage uh, i think we i think we kept it going i think uh, and did a very good job of taking the reins yeah the problem is is that it's all being recorded on my computer Ah. It's fine. Well, I mean, we've got the sound bites. We know what he said, so we can maybe put some tweets up, sound bite in the interview. You know, yeah. it's winning now. Yeah, that, that sounds I think that we all remember good. what he said. So, yeah. If you are still listening, thank you so much for staying with us through that. And obviously, Austin, um, terrific speaker. He he knows so quickly what he's talking about, even when the questions are being thrust upon him quite quickly in some complex um, theories and, and thoughts, but. Thanks again to the listeners for sticking with us. Episode 16 of the book, boys. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we will see you next week for the roundup of the second lot of seven teams that we're facing next year. But for now, for this week, let's go Lions, one pride. One pride. One pride. One pride.